it was the complete opposite of what I thought it was. And and you got to remember, right, I come from the background of a Royal Marines commander, longest, hardest military training in the world. I was six foot two, 16 stone, 24 years old, going out there doing this job, which, you know, hundreds of thousands of people over the years have failed to be able to do. Now I thought I was going to be sat on a rowing machine with someone going, oh, well done, young man. Aren't you special? And it just, it the thought of it just drove me nuts. Hi, I'm Brooke Melhouse. Welcome to Disabled and Proud, the podcast that does exactly what it says on the tin. Each week, the show highlights an awesome disabled guest speaking about their own disability, why they're proud to be disabled, and why they're proud to be themselves. So, look who it is. It is Mark. How are you? I am awesome. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Welcome to Disabled and Proud. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. So the first question that I ask every single guest, and I'm so sure listeners are really bored of me saying that exact phrase, is what is your disability and how do you refer to it? So I am a triple amputee. I'm missing both my legs above the knee and my right arm above the elbow. And I refer to it as the triple cripple. (laughs) (laughs) I am triple the cripple. Um, which I hope nobody gets offended by. I think because I am a triple amputee, I can get away with saying that. Yeah, of course. Um, but yeah, that's how I refer to it. <laughs> I actually really enjoy how, like, straight to the point that was. There was no like floating around the edges, being like, "That no, straight in. This is what it is, and this is how we're going to roll with it." <laughs> I love that. Um, Got to have a bit of fun with it. Yeah, exactly. So obviously, you're a triple amputee. You don't. You're two legs and your arm is it below before the elbow no both my legs are above the knee and my arm is above the elbow okay and so with that so how has that impacted your career and how did that all come about well it ended my career uh, I was a Royal Marines commando uh, I picked up my injuries halfway through a tour of Afghanistan back on Christmas Eve 2007 so you know being an elite level soldier you need to be physically elite and, and in one piece. So, you know, I no longer was that person. So I had to eventually leave the military and start on a new journey. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and again, you know, I was, I was born able-bodied and healthy. I acquired my disability when I was 24 years old. So in many ways, I've been quite fortunate in that I've seen both sides of the coin. Yeah. I've got a lot of friends who were born um, with congenital yeah, uh, amputations, uh, limb loss, and they, you know, I often think about this. I've never had this conversation with them, but they don't have the good fortune of knowing life from both sides. Yeah, like I was born with my, um, like without my arm, so I literally have not got a clue what it would be like to have two hands, and the thought of having two hands for me is almost disabling because I would not have any clue how to do anything like I would not know how to tie my shoes I would not know how to clap my hands I wouldn't know how to butter a piece of bread like that for me blows my mind but you've obviously had both sides of the coin so it's very different for you but you say that uh, but because I have seen both sides of the coin I totally understand how human beings can adapt yeah it may take you a couple months if you magically sprout with a hand but you would you would figure out everything the way you did you know, as you were a child, with one hand, you would figure it all out. And 
you know, just roll with it and make the best of it. For sure. Yeah. And so obviously you're a military man, you have your, you know, your accident and then it completely changes your career path. Mm-hmm. And so tell me all about that. So that was one of the more difficult things, you know, because I, I joined the military when I was 17 mm-hmm. and our full term career is 22 years. So I thought I had the next 22 years of my life mapped out. And it was very simple, you know, join the military, climb the ranks, retire after 22 years at, I think could be, I would have been 40. It's next February, actually, is my 22-year point. And then start a new career. Yeah. But obviously, there was a span of thrown in the works. I only did half of that time, came out and, and had no clue what to do in my life. Not only because I didn't really at that point want want to do anything else but i didn't really know what a man missing three limbs could do uh-huh you know and, and disability was a completely new world to me i didn't have any friends family or anybody that i knew that had a physical or mental uh, uh-huh. disability so it was a complete new world to me and, and what made it slightly harder was that i was the uk's first triple amputee since i think the second world war Wow. Um, yeah. And so there was nobody who could really mentor me and, and guide me and let me know what those options were realistically. Because yeah. I remember sitting at a computer, uh, filling out sort of a, an artificial intelligence style questionnaire to let you know what you'd be best suited to do as a career when you left the military. Mm-hmm. And it told me bricklayer. Oh, because uh, that would be the best choice. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if you've ever tried bricklaying from a wheelchair, but I don't think it's the easiest thing in the world to do on a wheelchair. It's conducive. <laughs> no, no. Um, so, you know, this whole new world opens up to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we're actually very lucky that we're in the day and age that we are as disabled people because I often think if this happened to me 30 odd years ago, my life would be totally different. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't use a wheelchair. I haven't used one since the 9th of June 2009 because I've got high-tech prosthetic legs. Uh-huh. Those weren't available back then and I would have had no choice but to use a wheelchair. The whole world's image of a disabled person back then was completely different to what it is now. It yeah. was almost like, you know, put the freak in the corner and, and don't talk to him. Yeah. Like it's completely different now. So I'm lucky, we're lucky in that respect. And all the tech... And all the, the inclusivity and, and the change in technology, you know, it can run a business from a smartphone, walk around on prosthetic legs and drive and travel and do all the things I did before, just slightly slower than I did them before. Yeah. And I think that's a really key point, isn't it? That actually had, had you know, disabled people who are alive now been born, you know, 30, you no, know, like way more 50 years ago, it would have been a completely different scene. And especially with the rise of social media, considering that you can now find people who look like you or have same experiences as you and finding that community that you wouldn't necessarily have access to without social media is incredible. And yeah. it's, it's amazing. Yeah. And, you know, people, I'm sure you get the same. People say like, you know, how do you, obviously you don't always have great days. What, what do you do on the bad days and, and how do you get over them and, and what's your mindset like? And because of, what we've just talked about my, my whole mindset is based around gratitude because mm-hmm. i know that this is the best time in history to to be in these situations because there's so much opportunity available if you're willing to get off your ass 
and go and put the work in, like you would put the work in if you were able-bodied and you were going yeah. to something. You know, yeah. so you've just got to be grateful for all this stuff that we have at our disposal. Yeah, and that's very true. So you've come out of the military and did you find life outside of the military difficult? Because I know a lot of people who have been in the military always say that coming like to civilian life is one of the hardest things that they've had to transition into. Yeah, so I was very lucky. I, I literally, I left the military on the 1st of July 2010, was just leaving to go with some friends to run across America, like a three and a half thousand mile run. Wow. And I got a phone call from a retired Royal Marines brigadier who at the time was the chief executive of the Royal Marines charity, and he offered me a job. Oh, wow. So I went over to America and did this run, came back and just landed straight into a job with the Royal Marines charity. So it didn't, it didn't actually feel like I left. It felt more like I'd been promoted. Yeah. Because I had then people coming to me, that my friends and people that I work with, coming to me, asking me for help and support, almost like in the military, how you would go to your sergeant major and ask for help and support. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I spent the next 10 years doing that and I never felt like I'd left. I'd spent 20 years in that world. Yeah. And then February 2020, I just, in my gut, felt I needed to move on. I felt there was mm-hmm. more I could do. I think the more I'd been exposed to the world as a disabled person, it, it was less scary. Uh-huh. I knew there were opportunities out there and you know not only opportunities but the way the world is now it's almost it's encouraged you know there are disabled tv presenters paralympics is more popular than the olympics you've got models and influencers and, and all these people with with disabilities that are out there crushing it now yeah i almost felt a little bit suffocated in, in that military environment then and needed to bust out and go and see what i could do yeah so, I was lucky that the transition for me was was quite smooth and easy. You know, but people do suffer and struggle. Yeah. And so I really would love to talk to you about the Invictus Games because I know that you participated. And mm-hmm. how did that all come about? And how did you get involved and, and all of that kind of stuff? So sport was never part of my recovery plan. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I actually found it really condescending. Mm-hmm. I used to get people come up to me all the time when I'd first meet them and shake my hand and go, so when are you doing the Paralympics then, Mark? And I'm like... Such a classic disabled person question. I know. And I was, I, I was like, is this a prerequisite? Is this, does everyone have to do it? And all I wanted to do was learn to be a full-time prosthetic user. And I looked at the sport. So before I was injured, I was an amateur kickboxer. I fought Muay Thai and I boxed in the Marines. I never did swimming, track and field none of that stuff none of it interested me but in 2016 I was sat right here where I am now in my home office and I was jotting out my goals for the following year and I realized that Christmas Eve 2017 was going to be my 10-year anniversary of being injured Mm -hmm. so I thought right let's celebrate by doing something that I haven't done before to mark the occasion yeah and after thinking about it I realized that sport was a thing I hadn't done okay not, not at all. I, I mean, I worked out and I'd figured out how to use prosthetics to lift weights and do cardio and keep myself healthy, mm-hmm. but I'd never competed at anything. Now, the Invictus Games was two years old at this point, uh-huh. and I had seen my friends from rehab go out there and compete and win medals. And, you know, that, that's awesome. But when the lights and the cameras were off, because I knew them outside of that, I saw 
how much their lives improved and their confidence improved and yeah. just that they had their spark back. So I sat here and I'm like, right, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go to the Invictus Games. I, I couldn't be bothered tiptoeing around low-level stuff and trying this. I just like, right, I'm going to go for this. Yeah. And if I don't make it, fine, but the point is I'm going to try. So I applied for the team. And I, honestly, I didn't think I'd make it because I was not in any of those circles, any of those cliques. I knew none of the the people from those worlds. Mm-hmm. So I thought, oh, they're just going to be like, yeah, you know, you're not in our group, you're not playing. But managed to make it in somehow. Um, went to the trials, competed to get on the team, managed to do that. Went out to Canada in 2017 to represent Team UK. And it, it blew my mind. Mm-hmm. Like, it was it was the complete opposite of what I thought it was. I thought I was going to be going around and people would be... And, and you got to remember, right, I come from the background of a Royal Marines commander, longest, mm-hmm. hardest military training in the world. I was six foot two, 16 stone, 24 years old, going out there, doing this job, which, you know, hundreds of thousands of people over the years have failed to be able to do. Yeah. Now I thought I was going to be sat on a rowing machine with someone going, oh, well done, young man. Aren't you special? And it just... It, the thought of it just drove me nuts. Uh-huh. But actually, when I got out there, well, even before I got out there, when I started training, my whole view of parasport changed. I realized that it was hard, like really hard. The first four minutes, I went full chat on a, on a rowing machine. I went blind and then yeah. he passed out. I had severe dehydration and I was embarrassed. And I thought, I should be able to nail this. And I struggled. So, you know, I trained it was hard trying to balance work and kids and, and the Invictus getting the training as well. But I went out there that first year and I didn't do what I wanted to do. You know, I, I came back with two silvers, two bronzes uh, with no goals. Mm-hmm. And that was my whole goal. And, you know, you said you can be honest on this podcast. So yeah, I'll, I'll be please. honest. I, I wasn't a fan of classifications the way people were classified and put into their their categories and races I, I witnessed people with let's say a lack of integrity trying to get classified down so they had an easy ride and I was losing to people that had two arms that should have been in the race above us and actually when my coaches because I didn't know what I was doing I was, it was yeah. my first time ever my coaches knew when they went and challenged this afterwards, we, we were told, yeah, we, we messed up. They shouldn't have been in that race. So when I asked my gold medals, they took two days to come back with the answers and they ended up saying, yeah, I'm really sorry, but we can't give you the medals. It's like, well, I won because the people that beat me were in the wrong race. They should have been in the classification above. Yeah. So I won. Where's my medals? And I didn't get them. So I went back the following year. Now I knew a little bit more so I could preempt it and challenge it. And my coaches would go and see who who I'd race against and then challenge it before the race. Mm -hmm. Actually, quite a lot of people then got pulled out and put where they should have been. And then then the gold medals came. Yeah. And I think what you say about classification is really important because I know that there was a big issue with classification around, I think it was like Paralympic basketball recently. There's a whole documentary on it. and classification in general in para sports is so it's so difficult yeah. right because people like to see disability as like one homogenized group but actually when you break it down and you know you're you're trying to compete 
against other people it's incredibly difficult where do you draw the line yeah like at what point is someone no longer in your classification do you go off like measurements in terms of like residual limbs do you go off fitness like so where the line is drawn is so so difficult and I can completely understand that frustration because I had something very similar happen to me earlier this year yeah and it actually meant that I moved up uh, like in a competition because of the classification being wrong Um, and it's so it's such a difficult one to try and explain to able-bodied people because they don't necessarily understand why the classification is so important and and I try to tell people, look, you know, I don't know if you ever got this before, but I get people like Facebook messaging me. They'll they'll send me a video of a double baloney amputee rock climbing, and they'll be like, Mark, why aren't you rock climbing? Well, because I haven't got any knees and I've only got one arm. We're not the same. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Just because we've got limbs missing, we're not the same. Yeah. But I actually had a friend of mine um, at the second year in Victor's Games. He turned up to the trials, and we were rowing against each other. Now, he's a triple amputee, but he was double through the knee and below the elbow. Mm-hmm. And he beat me in the trial. And at the end of it, he said to me, I'm cool now. I don't, I don't really want to go to the games. I just wanted to beat you. And I sat there and I thought, okay, but you should know better because you have an elbow for a start, yeah. which is a huge advantage when you're rowing. And then, you know, what you said is exactly right. Where do you draw the line? Because as a triple amputee, I'm double above knee and above elbow. Technically, I could row against a guy who's double below knee and a below elbow who can wear two prosthetic feet, wear his prosthetic arm, have four joints to pull with, well, I've got one. Yeah. yeah. But with triple amputees on paper. So in terms of Paralympics, why would I sacrifice four plus years of my life training, 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 missing out, dieting, all this stuff to go on the world stage and then potentially sit against somebody like that who could have just turned up that day and still beat me? Yeah. Minimal training. This, I wouldn't do it. And I think, you know, the fact that people, and I mean constantly, when I was little, I constantly got, when are you going to the Paralympics? What are yeah. you going to the Paralympics for? All of the time, like I've always been quite a sporty person. Like obviously we met through like a sporting event. Mm-hmm. So continuously getting that question, it's almost like you kind of have to justify your disability being valid through the Paralympics if you're sporty. Mm-hmm. And for me, that is the worst thing in the world. Like, Paralympians have been on this podcast and I respect what they do and I'm all for them however for me it's like chasing sand what is the point like you're gonna you know you're chasing after in my head and I obviously know that this is not what it's like at all but for me the idea of chasing a piece of metal that once you get it that is your goal complete like you've done it and that and that's it like what do you do at the end of it well do you know what right I had this conversation with some people and and I mean this with with all respect, right? But people were saying, you know, why don't you go to Paralympics? And that was exactly what I said to them. I said, I could sacrifice all that time, go there, and let's just say, best case scenario, I'll win a gold medal. What do I do after that? Mm. Well, I either, become, I either become a motivational speaker or I work on TV and the media. Guess what I already do? That's- so I don't have to jump the queue 10 years because I'm already doing it and I'm already getting paid to do that. Yeah, you know? exactly. Exactly it. And I just, for me, I think I've I've said this before is that I never want to be the best at what I do. I always want to be either the second or third best, because if you become the best, you've done your job and that's it. Yeah. You like, you know, unless you're breaking glass ceilings, which, you know, in this day and age is not difficult to do, but 
there's not really loads of glass ceilings now to break. Like, you know, I won't be the first disabled woman on TV. I won't be the first disabled woman, you know, to like host an event. That's, that's not going to happen. But if I'm like second or third, I've always got something to chase. Whereas if you become number one, that's it. Where do, like, where's that up? I'm going to be the first amputee in space. I was literally about to be like, I could be the first disabled woman in space. That was like my next We'll go up, we'll go up together. You could be the first woman. I'll be the first bloke. How fun would that be? You know, Musk, if you're listening, sign us up. You know, we're here. Like the email is in the bio. Like drop us an email. Perfect. <laughs> and so through all of this, you've obviously, you know, you've been to the Invictus Games. You've become a triple amputee. You've, you've done quite a lot. Like, as you say, you're a motivational speaker. Can you talk to me some more about your motivational speeches? And also, I'd love to talk to you about reorg and how you got into that. Okay. So the speeches, you know, what I used to do, I was doing it for like nine or 10 years, and it was mostly the corporates. You know, I did a lot of stuff with schools, which is a very different way of doing it. But it would be, I think, the old classic PowerPoint presentation. You go up there, you tell your story. you got some really gory pictures in there to give a bit of perspective. Yeah, and then uh, you get a clap and you walk off, and it's great. And I used to used to enjoy it, and then I, I got really bored of just me for an hour just going on and not. Yeah. And I found it hard to get enthusiastic. So I'm like, I've said this a million times, and I know it's a new audience. However, I need to figure out ways to get myself more excited. Yeah. And what I really enjoy is I used to enjoy the Q and A's at the end and the interaction, right? Like this, like. You know, talking to people, answering questions, yeah. and then you can go down a rabbit hole more rather than sticking to a script. Yeah, yeah. So I've flipped it recently within the last eight or nine months where now I'll go there and there's a moderator and they will do exactly that. They'll ask me questions based on whatever the theme of their event is, resilience, yeah. overcoming adversity, leadership, whatever it is. And then I'll go out to the audience and answer questions, which is a lot more lighthearted and fun and they ask personal questions. And that for me... I mean, it almost feels like you're stealing. You're, you're getting paid yeah. to do this. And it's so much fun. Uh, and, it, you know, you just, you get so much from it and so much more fulfillment than just being stood on a stage talking at an audience for an hour. Yeah. So I've got the love back for it now. Um, I enjoy doing it. And uh, I'll carry on doing it as long as people want me to. And it's so nice to be able to have more of a conversation. Because I think with motivational speaking, and I think you're very, very bang on, is that actually you know, you can tell your story 10, 10 different times, but for you, it's the same story, but for everyone else, it's brand new, but mm. you've heard your own voice say the exact same words, the exact same time and the exact same phrases. And you've got your points in your story that you repeat again mm. and again and again. So like, no wonder you do fall a bit out of love with it because, you know, there's only so much repetition that you can do. And especially when it comes to yourself, you can't like reinvent a brand new story for something that's happened in the past. Right. And so it's like, I love the fact that you've changed your format to more like conversational around a topic, because I think you probably get a bit more out of that because then people can tailor their questions to the topic, but also in relation to you. Yeah. And I think the audience get more from it too. And that's the key to it always. Like, although you're the one on stage talking, it's not really about you. It's about them and what you can give to them and how much value you can give to them. And I find this is a much better way of doing that too. Yeah, completely. And so Reorg, how did you get involved in that? Let's talk about adaptive jujitsu because I thought that I would like to give it a try and then I decided no because I feel like I would get squished like a fly on a windscreen wiper. 
<laughs> well, I currently weigh, without my prosthetics, 61 kilos. And this morning, I was fighting a guy that's 124 kilos. <laughs> so you do get squished by people a fair amount. But I, I got into it about five years ago when the founder, before it was actually a charity, the, the founder was still a serving Royal Marine. He was a physical mm-hmm. training instructor. He was the head of Royal Marines Unarmed Combat. And at the time, he was a purple belt at Jiu-Jitsu. But he had founded Reorg and was just putting it out to the Royal Marines uh, community at the time. Mm-hmm. And we met in the sergeant's mess and he invited me to the combat room to, to have a go. And like I said earlier, you know, my background, I used to fight and compete as a Thai boxer, yeah. kickboxer. So I, I was like, okay, cool. You know, I, I thought that was out of my life forever, like martial yeah. arts. So I'll give it a go. And it wasn't just fighting. I love the discipline, the integrity, the honor, and everything that comes yeah. with it. So I went down there and I didn't know what Brazilian jiu-jitsu was. I, I had tried Japanese jiu-jitsu when I was little, which is wrist locks and throws and disarming knives. And, and I thought on the way there, like, how am I going to do any of this stuff? Mm-hmm. But then we got there and he explained to me, it's a ground-based grappling system. And I don't use my legs or prosthetics when I'm doing it. So I'm sat on the floor and I'm, I'm like, well, okay, I'm already halfway there because I'm mm-hmm. on the floor, which is where this sport takes place. So I, that's a win. And then he started taking me through some of the techniques, the, the locks and the chokes. And we spent an hour figuring out how I would do it with one hand uh-huh. and using the same advantages that an able-bodied person would have. You can grab people's collars and their sleeves and their pant legs and use that for, for certain things. And after like an hour of just getting my ass kicked, I, I just kind of got addicted to it. I thought this is, you know, my heart rate was up and I was sweating and my adrenaline had kicked in because I was trying to survive this guy choking me. And I thought, this is, this is awesome. I can figure this out. And Mm -hmm. I've just been training that ever since. Yeah. I said now, you know, sparring with different people, different body types, some are able-bodied, some are not able-bodied. You know, I was, I was sparring with a guy on Friday who is a wheelchair user who can't use his legs and it just, blew my mind and confused me because I just yeah. couldn't figure it out how to deal with this guy. You know, he's super strong, really strong yeah. upper body, but I would get in positions where an able-bodied person would maybe twist, use their legs and his didn't work. And I'm like, what do I do? I can't figure yeah. it out. And that's like what's great about it as well. It gives you a mental workout. It's like chess. You've yeah. got to try and figure out each step and the new challenge and put the puzzle together. So you get a bit of a mental workout as well. And I think having that mental workout is so important and being able to, like, as you say, like spar and grapple against all different abilities and bodies is, is so important, especially in a sport that seems to be quite welcoming to like everybody. I mean, I haven't met someone who hasn't been able to do it yet, Yeah. but I think it might scare me a bit too much. The thought of being choked by another girl who's like, a hundred kilos heavier than me terrifies the piss out of me. So I think I'm just going to leave it. <laughs> leave it. Yeah, but they, they wouldn't do that. You know, if you went to a decent academy, you, you would start with the white belt. It's, it's not like that. I think that's what a lot of people maybe get confused. Like, you know, back in the day, if you walked into a boxing gym on your first day and you went into the ring to spar, most people would try and take your head off. Mm-hmm. Right. But that's not what it's like. It, it's a very, it's, it's the closest community that I've experienced to the military in terms of in terms of bonding and brotherhood and camaraderie because you're all on the same path you all start from day one with a white belt 
you know, most people have got ambitions to go through the grades, to get to a black belt. You all go through the highs and lows, the frustrations and the successes. No one's there to beat the shit out of anyone. Everyone's there to learn and to teach. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's a really good environment. No, that's, that's actually quite beautiful. Yeah, you should, you should give it a go. go to, if you find a decent academy, turn up there um, and just see what, they, see what they say. See what they say. Yeah. So your career obviously changed quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And, you know, your life changed quite a bit when you became disabled. So would you say that you learn any positive attributes about yourself during that time? Because as much as I think you're a very um, positive person, there must have been some point in time where you weren't as positive as you are now going through all the changes that you had to go through. Or was that that could be like a complete lie? No, um, I have always been kind of positive and, and motivated to move forward with, with whatever is put in mm-hmm. front of me but you're absolutely right you know with, when something like this happens you don't just wake up from the intensive you know a coma and intensive can go right what's this invictus games thing let's go do that yeah. you know what i mean there's there's a whole range of emotions that you got to go through um you know and most especially the low ones i i i honestly was very lucky and only had two downtimes Mm-hmm. during my recovery where I, where I contemplated taking my life and they were both within the first six weeks while I was in hospital mm-hmm. that was it as soon as I got out of hospital into rehab knew my legs were coming and my arm was coming and I was around other military people it was just game on they yeah. wanted to see how quickly I could recover but you do you do learn a lot about yourself in that process yeah. and the biggest thing I took away from it and I already knew this going through Royal Marines training as a 17 year old, but your mind is so powerful. If you can get around it and train it and grow it and understand it, then there's pretty much nothing that you can't do. Mm-hmm. You just, you have to understand like every journey you go on in life, you're going to fail massively on, on, on the way. And mm-hmm. you've got to understand that. And in the beginning, when you don't, it sucks, but when you do, you actually enjoy it. You're mm-hmm. like, cool, I failed. I failed at whatever I'm attempting. That means I'm a cl- step closer to succeeding. And yeah. you just you look at it so differently and you you know it's gonna happen, and you're like, perfect. And it's like now in my life, you know, anytime I go through a difficult stage now, when I'm struggling mentally or physically or whatever it is, I know now from experience that that's right before the moment I'm about to burst through to the next level. And I know that. And so rather than be like, oh, I feel like crap. And why isn't this working? And nothing's going my way. I tell myself, you've been here 15, 16, 17, 18 times before, Mark. You know that within a week or two, this is the process you have to go through to explode through to the next level. And then you start looking at things very differently. Yeah. And you're a great believer and advocate for for mental strength. And I think that that really shows because I think a lot of people you know a lot of people in the world would, would benefit from being more mentally stronger mm-hmm. and and having that ability to to almost like push through your own your own thoughts and your own like struggles not necessarily everybody feels like they can do that but the fact that people you, you can do it you can push through yeah is is amazing i think it's a lot more difficult nowadays because everything's so easy yeah like you just get on your phone now and go on just eat and get a pizza or order an Uber, 
or get on Amazon and the next day, whatever you want is there. And that's amazing, you know, because the human race is, is evolving and things are becoming more efficient, but it also takes away a degree of resilience mm-hmm. of people and, and, you know, their ability to be resourceful and go out there and figure things out like they would have to do a hundred years ago, say, you know? So, you know, I think it's harder nowadays because people don't face as much adversity as they used to. Mm-hmm. It, it, that's my opinion anyway. I mean, obviously we've just been through COVID and everything we're going through now with the cost of living, but I think it's, yeah, I think it's, it was easier back in the day to have that mindset because there was so much more people had to deal with. Yeah. And there's, you know, instant gratification is probably like the worst thing that's ever happened to the human race. Yeah. <laughs> that is like my, that's like my personal opinion is it? you know, instant gratification is actually like the downfall of, is going to be the downfall of society because we've forgotten how to struggle and that actually struggling is not a bad thing mm. because in the struggle is where you usually like find yourself or your like the gems that you need to carry on. But we've almost yeah. like removed that completely from society. So therefore it's like, you know, if you're even slightly sl- struggling or, you know, something slightly off kilter, it's almost like it's the end of the world because we yeah. haven't had to go through that hardship. It makes me sad now when you see children and, you know, you ask them what they want to be when they get older. And they, they say things like famous. And it's like, that's not a career. But they watch these reality TV shows. And that's, that's like the easiest route to money is to go on and, and win some sort of reality TV show. And kids are getting younger and younger. And that's like an ambition of theirs. And I'm like, when you be a doctor or a dentist or a nurse, yeah. you know what I mean? Where you've got to go and figure stuff out and, and work hard. You don't, you shouldn't be wanting to go on TV when you get older and go on a reality show and then become an influencer. And, you know, it's just, I don't, I don't agree with any of that stuff. You know what I mean? Well, you just think, you've got to work hard. Yeah. What I think is so mad is that, um, so I don't actually watch Love Island just because I just don't think it's like conducive for anybody, but someone put on their like Facebook status or like it was on Instagram or something that one of the contestants is, is 19 which means at the beginning of the pandemic she was 16 right and I was literally there and I was like that blows my mind that that's even allowed she's had like you know years of her life that she's had absolutely no experiences in because when I think of my life I think about the experiences I had from the ages of 21 to 23 right I lived in between America and England and it was like the best time of my life now you know let's go to COVID those two years and I look back I had absolutely none of the life experiences that I had during that period of time mm-hmm. so how can we expect someone who was so young who had two years of their life taken away and throw them into reality tv and like expect them to be able to handle it at the end of it it honestly blows my brain that they were that young especially when I've never seen it either but I've seen the stories about previous contestants who have taken their own lives because they couldn't handle it and they were older than that I think yeah it's dangerous it blows my mind genuinely Mm. blows my mind and I'm like how is this how is it allowed like reality tv is just a whole like different conversation for a different like point in time but like reality tv and influences that come off the back of reality tv is just something that I have a real bugbear about you know school as well you know I, I get schools necessary but I read a story the other day that they were looking at reintroducing Latin into school for kids. And I'm like, can you teach my child about 
finance and budgeting and money management? Can you teach them how to be on time? Can you teach them interview skills and techniques? I don't want them learning Latin. What, what good is that to them? Do you know what I mean? I, teach mean them- I now know the conjugations for the Latin verbs, but like that's never helped me in life. I'm a, a yeah. man, a mama's man, a man. <laughs> Saying that, do you know what I mean? I, I do regularly use Pythagoras' theorem to get through my days. So, you know, <laughs> I get it. Can you, you imagine? If you want to go to college and university and, and be a doctor, I, I absolutely get that. But for the majority of us, that's I don't think that's the case. So teach some life skills at schools, yeah. you know, and get their heads straight so they're not going down these paths where being famous is the ambition once they've done their GCSEs. Yeah, exactly. Mm. So would you say that you had a piece of advice for either, and most people tend to do both, so like feel free, a piece of advice for a younger version of yourself knowing what you're about to go through or a younger person who is having the same experience as yourself in like acquiring their disability would you have a piece of advice for those two people yeah absolutely and we touched on it before never underestimate the power of your mindset and and train that you know from an athlete's perspective or anyone who likes to keep fit train your mind as much as you train your body read the right books, consume the right content, get the right mentors, whether they're people in your life or people online, watch the right documentaries on, you know, just build it. Read these inspirational stories of people that have come from nothing and still made a success of their life. Look at personal development, go on courses, you know, just train your brain to act differently. Mm-hmm. you know and, and understand how powerful you are how we all are as human beings and what we can achieve yeah and I think that's such a good take home is that you like you, you can train your brain like neuroplasticity is real yes absolutely 100% so am I right in thinking that you're an MBE I am do you know what that stands for no I don't I have no idea I was about to ask you all about it so you can tell me all about it well the lads tell me it's a massive bell end. <laughs> they said you're a massive bell end that's what mp stands for <laughs> imagine if that's what like what was on it like well done congratulations yeah. massive bell end no that's not what it is but um yes you're right i, I did get uh it's for working with the royal marines in the veteran community mm-hmm. yeah so which is strange because it's pretty much what i love doing yeah it's not, it's, i don't consider that work at all that's like my life fun i love it i'm passionate about it 90 mm-hmm. percent of my friends are in those circles anyway so it's like i'm hanging out with my friends every day just trying to do a little bit of help yeah and who is it that gave you your mbe it was uh prince charles oh he's got really fat fingers has he yeah they- oh, okay his fingers scare me. <laughs> okay. I'm not particularly paying any attention to his fingers, but I'll take like mind. next time, next time you see him, you'll be like, oh, oh, and then you'll notice and you'll know exactly what I'm on about. Right. I might <laughs> urge a little bit if I see them. I'll think of this conversation. <laughs> um, do you have a question or a group of questions that particularly annoy you about your disability? So for example, for me, it tends to be like what happened or did a shark bite your arm off, or, or anything like that? Do you have like a particular set that, that seemed to annoy you more than others? The Paralympic thing used to annoy me, like we talked about. Yeah. Um, people just thinking you have to be an athlete when you're disabled. You can't be a CEO or an entrepreneur or a father or any of that stuff. You've got to be an athlete. 
So that used to annoy me. Um, not, no, I don't think so. Not nothing really apart from that. I mean, people, I think a lot of them know my story. You know, I live in a small city and I grew up here. I know a lot of people and it's in the local media and stuff. So mm -hmm. I don't get asked what happened unless it's by a kid. And I just, I'll do the shark thing or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, but no, not really. It was just that Paralympic thing that used to annoy me. Yeah. And I think that's like the Paralympic one as well. Like, as I said earlier, it, it's such a classic question. And I think about it, I would never go to like an able-bodied person who was like mildly okay at some form of sport and be like, so when are you going to the Olympics then? Because right. it's not just something you would instantly think about, is it? No. no. Like you, you would never go up to someone and be like, oh, you're really good at basketball. When are you going to the, when are you going to the Olympics? No, it's like the only valuable disabled people are athletes. It's like, no, it's not quite the case. <laughs> we can be mums and dads and partners and, you know, we can be athletes, CEOs, bosses, podcast host tv host well you can do whatever we want yeah. you know what I mean? we don't have to do the 100 meters <laughs> and also the 100 meters is not that fun like let's just be really honest about it like it's not that fun <laughs> no. and so i have one final question for you um and that is mark can you say that you are disabled and proud i am disabled and proud hell yeah <laughs> yeah oh yeah amazing and everybody I ask everybody that question at the end and every I think everybody always thinks that they're going to try and have like a different edgy answer and as soon as I say like are you disabled and proud everyone's like yeah of course I am like absolutely and I'm like yeah see everyone thought you're going to try and be individual but you all say the exact same thing uh, and that uh, is that everybody I've spoken to is disabled and proud yeah absolutely um yeah 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 absolutely Good. I'm glad. Well, thank you so much for your time today. I really enjoyed this chat and I think there's a lot to have been taken away from it, especially all around mindset and um, building your mind and progressing from where you are now to where you could be in the future. Mm -hmm. well, thank you for having me. Yeah. Thanks so much for being on. Can't wait to hear more of your story later. <laughs> thank you. No worries. Thanks for listening to this episode of Disabled and Proud. If you've enjoyed the show, then please give it some love by leaving us a five-star review wherever you download your podcasts. It really helps us to reach more and more people each week. Plus, if you've got a particular highlight, then I'd absolutely love to hear it. Tag me on your Insta stories at Disabled and Proud Podcast.